Hey goalies, if you like shopping as much as the book squad does, you're going to love XO Mandy Sue. XO Mandy Sue is an online clothing boutique for women who love the beachy boho look. Inspired by today's top trends in beach towns and beyond, XO Mandy Sue is designed for the everyday girl. Right now, XO Mandy Sue is offering 35% off their entire site for Book Squad Goals listeners. Just visit xomandysue.com and enter Book Squad 35 all caps at checkout. That's Book Squad 35 to get 35% off your order. XO Mandy Sue, clothing that's good for the soul, not just the appearance. Welcome to Book Squad Goals again. Hey. <laughs> hey. Hi. Um, what's up? What's up? Right up top, we got to give two warnings, I think, for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, we are okay. discussing Sharp Objects today, the HBO miniseries, and also the book by Gillian Flynn. We're going to spoil both of them. So pause mm-hmm. right now and go watch it real quick. And then come back. You really, you really should just watch it. What's your problem? Also, we're going to be talking okay. about some tough subjects because this show's got a lot of them. So, a quick trigger warning: trigger for warning. drug and alcohol abuse, self harm, child abuse, and rape. And did I forget anything? Just anything that could possibly trigger you is probably it, yeah. It be will happen. The show trigger warning for triggers. I mean, in this murder, show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. dead bodies. S- Southern accents. Yeah. Wallpaper. True. Oh, man. I was triggered by that wallpaper for real. <laughs> In the best way. Um, speaking In of things way. that might, you know, get an emotion Trigger out of you. you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, our intro question today is about a creepy thing. In Sharp Objects, and that is the character Emma's dollhouse, which is like an exact scale replica, small scale replica of her mom's big Victorian mansion, and down to the upholstery on the chairs being exactly the same. So it is scary. Well, there's one thing that's right. the same. Well, we'll get there. It's too early. <laughs> it's, I said we're going to spoil it, but like not right this moment. Um, but... That got me thinking, a lot of childhood toys are pretty creepy. So, what children's toy do you think is the creepiest and why? And I think our guest should say hey and go first. Oh, no. Yay! So, my my MFA BFF, Janet, is here with us today. Hey, y'all. To be our guest. Hi, Janet. Hey, Janet. Thank you. MFA BFF. (laughs) Yep. A long time. It's a lot of... If you Lots don't know what all those words stand for, then like, oh well, whatever. Also known as Ant to the P. Oh yeah, yes. true, true. Um, so you want me to go first here? That's exciting. Um, well, I thought about this, and I didn't own this toy, but one of my friends did when I was little. Um, have you Teddy Ruxpin? I would, yep. Girl, you took my answer. Oh, no. You took my answer. No. Uh, we can talk about how can we share it, it? So I didn't own it. Yeah, Teddy let's Ruxpin. just talk about it together. Yeah, I did. I did own a Teddy Ruxpin. I've actually did. talked about Teddy Ruxpin on the podcast before. Yeah, it was a oh. quiz yeah, answer you have. or something. Wait a minute, Janet. Did you say, of course you did? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I'm just thinking my best friend at the time had a Teddy Rex mm-hmm. pin. And since you're my MFA, BFF, of course mm-hmm. she had a Teddy, a Teddy oh, Rex yeah. pin. That's true. <laughs> it's like you're, it's in your BFF. Uh, History? The right requirements uh, requirements yeah exactly. yeah must have owned a teddy rex bin yeah or currently own a teddy rex bin currently because you like to live on the edge <laughs> like that true um but yeah teddy rex pin was scary um i remember playing barbies as we did as a child with my friend at the time and we were just sitting there and it started talking um and it scared the crap out of me and the way its mouth moved and yeah. its eyes moved it was just creepy and you could put other tapes in it. I've yeah. never seen one in real life. You could put other tapes in it, but it wouldn't move its mouth. No, it would just like you open put other its tapes in it. It would just like make unholy sounds. <laughs> Creepy. Um, yeah, there's something unholy. in the eyes. Something in Teddy's eyes. It's not right. True. I mean, I guess I'll say this is Mary. I guess I'll say. In sort of the same vein as Teddy Ruxpin, Furbies are pretty creepy. Because mm-hmm. they also I talk also and move their mouths and eyes. I was in high school when I got a Furby. Oh my god. And I loved it. Oh my god. I remember one time, my I was like, my childhood was like the heyday of mm-hmm. Furbies. Because that was like the time to have a Furby. And I remember one time I got really mad at mine because it wasn't like learning English the way that I wanted. Like it was like being very frustrating. So I threw it at my bed and like it hit my bed and then it was like, I love you. Like as soon as it hit my bed and I felt so guilty that I like picked it up and I like tucked it in my bed and I like apologized to it. I have a like a very I would think, well, this thing's cursed. That moment. Well, Obvious. It's a Furby, of course. Of course it's cursed. I think it was sorry. Yeah, it was trying to apologize, but it didn't know the words yet. Because it wasn't learning English like it was supposed to. Trigger warning for Furbies is when I forgot. Yeah, you forgot about that, Susan. Um, This is Kelly. I'm going to say, I feel like I'll come up with a better answer later. But right now, my answer is going to be baby born. Because... um, (laughs) Baby born is a baby that you feed and it takes real shits. <laughs> that is horrific. That's not okay. <laughs> that is yeah, that's disgusting. Really Different so, kind of scary. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if creepy is quite the right word, but I do that think is, it's pretty that, creepy. I think that's the right word. Cuz it's mm-hmm. like it's disturbing. Like not only are you, like, training your your small daughter to, like, raise babies, you know, fine. If you like baby dolls, fine. But also, like, you're like, I'm going to show you how hard it is to raise a child. You're going to have to clean up its shit. But then that's, like, advertised as, like, Fun. part of what's good about the baby is that it's real. It's, like, it really goes to the bathroom. I think it might have puked, oh, too. God. That's fine. That's probably Ugh. when my childhood puke trauma is it? That. Is it fine? <laughs> It's not fine for me. I'm glad I didn't have one of those. Mm-mm. I really wanted one when I was a little kid. I really wanted one. And then I didn't get one. And I specifically asked Santa for one for Christmas. And my parents the next day were bullshitting so hard. They were like, we were so relieved that Santa didn't bring you a baby born because, you know, we just knew it was going to be very messy and stuff. And it's like, fuck you guys. You decided not to get me a baby born, not Santa. I am glad Santa didn't bring you Yeah. Can you believe that shit? Because I was, like, upset 
the spoiled little child that I was probably got like a thousand other nice presents and I was like, but I didn't get baby (laughs) boy. I want the baby (laughs) bitch shit. Emily, you want to go? I I agree. said Teddy Ruxpin, okay. so yeah. She had no other prepared okay. answer. No. So, uh, Tickle me Elmo there. <laughs> so basically talking toys are a yes. problem. Or shitting toys. Look, you, you think Tickle me Elmo is not creepy, but that's because you've never had a Tickle me Elmo whose batteries were running low. <laughs> what do you think his laughter sounds like then? It's real creepy. I also, I like also had a Tickle me Elmo. Yeah, it was... That tickle. Oh god. That was tickle me It was just like that. Um Okay, well, this is Susan and I used to be really afraid of this old jack in the box that my grandparents had at their house. A classic terrifying toy. Yeah. Um it was like the really old it was really old and had like the crank on the side and stuff and you just i mean the i don't like an unpredictable toy like that i don't want to be afraid of when the toy will will be with me right and also like circusy music is creepy by itself so add in a jump scare and it's like why would you give that to a kid <sighs> Also, have right. you ever seen anything creepier than a room full of like porcelain dolls? No. Just creepy. I had friends who had like a lot of them. There's just like a shelf mm-hmm. lined up of dolls, and I was like, "Why though?" You know. Anyway, so it's a good question. I cheated. I said two of them. So don't get your children toys. Ever. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if they pee and poop mm-hmm. or talk. Yeah. <laughs> so don't have kids either um, <laughs> for you adults out there alright um, so sharp objects let's get into it I'm going to read the IMDb yeah. summary based on the debut novel of the same name by writer Gillian Flynn author of Gone Girl the 8 episode series Sharp Objects stars Amy Adams in her first major role on the small screen as reporter Camille Preaker, who returns to her small hometown to investigate unsolved crimes Two girls are missing, one of whom was found dead and presumed murdered. As she searches for clues, Camille reunites with her estranged family, overbearing mother Adora, stepfather Alan Krellen, and half-sister Emma, which rekindles traumatic childhood memories, including the death of her younger sister. Piecing together a psychological puzzle from her past, Camille begins to identify with the young victims a bit too closely. So, like I said, Amy Mm. Adams is the star. Um, Her half-sister Emma who is supposed to be 13 years old, but looks much older, mm-hmm. um, is played by Eliza Scanlon, and then Adora <laughs> is played by Patricia Clarkson, and all three of them are amazing. Yes. Especially, I don't feel like Patricia Clarkson gets enough credit. No, she's great. Because she's really great, and she's been in, in a ton of stuff, but it's like, every time I see her, I feel surprised again at how good she is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She is amazing. So, speaking of those three stars of the show, they are all women, and the female relationships in this show are frightening, even when they're good. (laughs) So, um, there's some major mother-daughter issues and some sister-sister issues, Um, and then every other woman who lives in this town is just like a gossipy asshole, so everyone's friendship is all fake, and you trust no one the whole time. 
Um, so I just wanted to ask which relationship dynamics did we find the most compelling between the women specifically? Oh man. Okay. I have two. I think for me personally, the, the relationship between Camille and her sister who died, um, was really important. Marian. Yes. Thank you. Marian. Um, that was really important to me, especially how we see that affecting her as an adult. And I love the way that they dealt with those flashbacks throughout the series. Um, and how like these little, um, revelations about their relationship kind of connect to the present story. I also love that. I mean, for those of you guys who read the book, I love that the show added a lot more about this um, roommate that she had when she was in the hospital um, and how she was connecting that to her relationship with her sister, like sort of seeing her as like a new person for Mm -hmm. her to protect and how that affected her. Um, So I thought all of that was really cool. And I love how the show, I feel like the show in a lot of ways developed it more than the book did which is maybe why i responded so much to it in the show because i i already felt like the relationship between the mom um adora and camille was like pretty uh prominent in the book and it's still like really i mean because like amy adams and patricia clarkson acting opposite each other is just like amazing to watch but i think the the sister relationship was most uh surprising to me just because like it seemed to come out more in the show for me so that's my answer well i would like to like say the obvious one which is um camille and emma like i found their relationship really fun to watch just because like emma is kind of this character she's the younger sister of camille um the the new one, <laughs> mm-hmm. the younger half sister who is like, um, I guess they're meeting for the first time, which is no, I think they've met. She just hasn't seen her in a really long time, like a really okay. long time. That's why yeah. she doesn't recognize her. Yeah, like they don't recognize each other. Yeah, so she is kind of like a person who has like two sides to her. She's like constantly presenting this like when she's at home, this very good girl, young, like younger than 13 sort of like always wearing her little dresses and, and playing it, with like, her dollhouse. Creepy and then, dresses. Like they're very cute, yeah. but like she looks like a 1950s doll. They're like yeah. doll dresses. Yeah. She looks like a doll. Adora is very much like she wants her children to be like her mm-hmm. dolls. She mm-hmm. wants to take care of them and play with them like they are babies. And as soon as they try to have any like thoughts or opinions of their own, she like can't handle it. Um, but I uh, really responded to just like the way that Emma like like presents these two different versions of herself and how those two different versions of herself interact with Camille. Um, I thought that was really interesting because then the other part of her is this like, like wild teenager and like, but in both cases, like both versions of her personality, she still has this like longing to be close to Camille, Mm -hmm. I think. And it's like pretty sad, their relationship. Well, I mean, like, it's interesting because you said that Emma has like two sides to herself Mm -hmm. and she does. But it's, like, really 
viscerally obvious because she, you know like you said she physically looks different with these two different sides so there's like Emma at home that's like mama I'm so glad Camille's home to visit you know like mm-hmm. really super sweet and then there's Emma out in public that's like come do some drugs with us Camille <laughs> Yeah, we're tough kids, you <laughs> and know. Like and, and she almost like pops like she's giving blowjobs. Yeah, and she almost is like yeah. bullying Camille at points and oh, trying yeah. to pressure her into doing certain things or acting a certain way. And Camille kind of goes along with it. I mean, I feel like the dynamic between Emma and Camille is just really interesting, and there's a lot to be said there. I don't necessarily know what all of it is, but it's. Like, really rich in a way that a lot of the other relationships don't get to be, at least in the show. I guess I should say I haven't read the book. I think everybody else has probably read the book. But I have just watched the show. I think the show does, if not as much more than the book does in terms of the relationship. Interesting. Janet, what do you think? What do I think? Well, I like the relationship between um, Camille and her sister as well, Emma, specifically her half-sister who's still alive. Um, I think that it's really interesting how Camille still tries to protect her, um, especially later on in the series when she figures what's going on and what's happening. Um, and she almost sac- she tries to sacrifice herself for her sister. Um, so I think that it's interesting that they have that sort of relationship. Um, but with the female relationships, and this might be more so from the book, I think Emma's relationship with her two friends, um, where she's the queen bee, she's the girl and her two friends, the ones that are still alive, um, (laughs) because she was also friends with the girls who, who are dead, um, is is really interesting i think again more so in the book um but she she's always in charge and her two her two girl her two her two friends are just along for the ride um and i think that that's a pretty common dynamic with within a toxic friendship group and so i think that it's interesting to see that relationship too again more so it's that relationship is explained more in the book but to see them skating around town and and following one another i think is kind of interesting yeah and at one point emma when she's talking to camille about you know being a teenager or whatever and she says you know boys are easy it's easy to make them like you you just let them do whatever they want to you but with girls it's hard because i like they are afraid of me and they'll do what I want. I can make them do things, but I can't make them like me and they don't like me. Yeah, she manipulates them and they follow. The scenes that I enjoyed watching the most were um, Camille and her mom. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't enjoy that relationship or anything. It's horrible. But I like how she still is trying to get some kind of closeness out of her mom and all she gets is like, I never loved you, or that's why I never loved you. I was going to say, that scene where, like, they're out on the porch, and she's like, I never loved you. Like, yeah, because you can tell that Camille is thinking, like, oh, we're about to, like, get somewhere in our relationship. And it's like, yeah, we are. It's not where you want to go. They even show, like, a little moment of, like, what she imagined would happen with her Mm -hmm. mom, like, thanking her for bringing Emma home and them hugging. That 
then is not at all what happened. And also, she doesn't say it like, I'm telling you this now, I never loved you. But she, like, offhandedly, she's like, I think that's why I never loved yeah. you. Like, while she's talking about something else. Yeah, she's like, she's, like kind of drunk. And yeah, she just that. kind of, like, offhandedly mentions it. Like, you know that. You know that I never yeah. loved you. And, like, and mm-hmm. she looks so sad to hear that. It's, yeah, it's just – it's, like, her, like, level – like, how blasé she is about saying that versus, like, how deeply it obviously affects Camille. Like, the contrast between those two things is, like, partially what makes it so hard. I just like that we really see that relationship, like, straight through Camille's eyes because there's also so many scenes where she's watching – she sees her mom interacting with Emma the way that – it never mm-hmm. happened with her, and later you find out like it's it's super toxic actually, but um, <laughs> and yeah. like potentially fatal for some. But right. those moments where she's kind of like hanging in the the doorway to a room, just like watching her kind of treat Emma like a doll, are also really yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah, I love Amy Adams, and that's where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> she is the best. <laughs> she's fantastic. Well, um, in addition to her mother never loving her. Um, Camille also had a lot of other shit going on um, from the time she was a kid. So her it's probably somewhat related. Oh well, yeah, a lot of it's very related. It's um, all related, especially her sister's death, which she does not know is related until we find out that we find out in the second to last episode of the series that Adora has Munchausen by proxy and so has been keeping, had been keeping Marion ill until it killed her. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, double trauma there. And then there's also, this is like a little clearer in the, in the book, I think, but it's, she was, Camille was raped by a group of boys when she was like in, I think it was like eighth grade when she was a cheerleader Mm -hmm. and a boy, one of the guys apologizes to her in the, in the show and she brushes it off. Like, Oh no, I wanted that to happen, but you can see in the flashbacks, like, Mm no, um, that's not the case. Is that how you read? Because like I read it more like she was like, you don't get to apologize me and make yourself feel better for this. Well, in the, it's kind of like how I was reading that scene. Yeah, I mean, show. I think that in that scene, I read it that way. But there's a scene with her where she's talking to Richard, the a detective who she kind of has like a relationship with. And he is trying to tell her or say, you know, that's rape. And she was like, you can't like, she basically was like, well, what if I liked it? Like, Is that in the book mm-hmm. or in the movie? Both. Okay. In the movie, in the show, so I feel like in the in the, the yeah, book, there's like a really clear conversation where that happens, and she's like, she doesn't want to call it that, but you get the sense that she is aware that that mm-hmm. is indeed rape. But yeah. Um. Anyway, as an adult, we see that she does like spend some time in a mental health facility, but um, when she was younger, and then up through like a good chunk of her adulthood, she was self-harming to cope and drinking. Um, but the self-harm is unique in that she cuts words into her skin. So all of her scars spell words and it's, they make it clear in the book that she only really has like one spot left besides her face. 
and it's on her back, and it's just because she couldn't reach it. And so she only has this one mm-hmm. sort of blank spot on her back. Um, I feel like the book goes a lot deeper into the words themselves and stuff. But um, anyway, I just wanted to talk about how the self-harm and the alcohol abuse, which is a lot more prominent in the show, how that mm-hmm. shapes her character and her involvement in solving the murders. I think the alcohol abuse is pretty pom- prominent in the book. It's too. just so in your face. Entire. I, She's drunk like the entire time in the show. <laughs> this is why, honestly, I really struggled with the show from for most of the show. I mean, I I mean, I know I was like texting you guys about it and stuff, and talking about it a little bit in text messages, and I just had a really hard time getting through the first part because it seemed to be just a lot of Amy Adams driving around in a car drinking vodka out of a water bottle and like sticking herself with sewing needles. And I know a lot of people who struggle with alcoholism. I have people close to me who struggle with it. And it's just hard to watch um, because it is just like so intense and there's so much of it in the show. And that's not to say necessarily that they should have cut that or lessened it or made it less of a thing. Cause I do think it's important to Camille's character, but it also it's just, very difficult to watch and Mm -hmm. i mean we get this clear picture of camille as uh, like very very much like loathing herself and Mm -hmm. seeing herself as damaged goods and undesirable in a lot of different ways and i mean probably the most heartbreaking part of the show for me was that that's never really contradicted. <laughs> you know, she doesn't end up with her detective guy. He's pretty openly like put off by her yeah. once he sees her scars. And her mom says she never loved her. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And he calls her a slut. Yeah, fuck you, like, man. <laughs> so awful. I, I feel like it was even worse in the book, too. Like, he was pretty shitty. Like, yeah. And that's I mean, it's just, like, nothing ever contradicts that she's not worth anything. You know, we don't get, like, I mean, I think in a lot of stories, we get this redemptive part where there's someone who's like, no, it doesn't matter to me. But that's not the case in Sharp Objects, which is, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, in a way, I appreciate that it pushes back against that standard sort of almost cliche at this point person to, like, a romance, yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> or she needs a man to accept her. Yeah, first I think that would really piss me off. Yeah. I, I appreciate that it pushes back against that because, of course, like a man is not going to fix Camille. That's kind of what I like about how Gillian Flynn writes her women, though. Like Amy, her name is Amy, right? In Gone mm-hmm. Girl, Amy's not yeah. that redeemable of a character either. <laughs> like. What do you mean, not that redeemable? Just not <laughs> Everybody's kind of terrible in Gone Girl. Well, I mean, that's kind of... Everyone's terrible in Sharp Objects. Yeah. Yeah. And then in her other novel, um, <laughs> yeah, Dark are. Places, that protagonist is 
is pretty it's pretty bleak <laughs> for her also and yeah um I don't I guess I like that Gillian Flynn doesn't shy away from that or try to like have a big redemption in the end for people but it is yeah. sad though for Camille that that you know she doesn't get that <laughs> she does have a moment of acceptance with um John Keane although it's like highly problematic that she sleeps with him so yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about. Um, I think that it's interesting that she does have that relationship with John. And of course, both of them have lost sisters that they really loved um, with Marion. And of course, John Keane's um, sister was, was that Natalie? Was that who that was? Yeah. I think that's the name of the most mm-hmm. recently killed girl. Um, but I think it's interesting that, you know, there is that relationship between John and, and Camille, um, he is a little bit younger than she is, and that's like talked about. But they do have that. I think the most romantic sexual uh, relationship in the mm-hmm. book. Also, I think um, in the series where he actually says that he can see her. She shows him mm-hmm. her scars, and he reads her, um, which I think was really interesting. So they do have that 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 moment where I guess Camille has that moment of connection, but it isn't with the detective. Um, it's it's with John, and I think they connect, but again, it's not like a typical loving relationship mm-hmm. or quote-unquote the right person, but I think that's the only person that she really reveals herself to, physically, her scars, and John, I mean, they have that mm-hmm. connection, too, with yeah, their sister. I think, yeah. yeah, I think you're right. Like, Camille that. understands that John has also experienced trauma, and so... Like he un- he understands that part of her, and not everyone, not everyone has experienced trauma at the same level that they have, you know. Right, right. I guess her editor is yeah. I was just another to say positive that. <laughs> relationship that she has that he's aware of. He's at least aware of her situation. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's one good thing at the end, you know, like, her editor's still gonna, like, take care <laughs> <Yeah>. of her. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, someone's he's in touch with her, her the whole time, too, and he seems to be the only person yeah. who's literally ever checked on her in her whole life. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And in, in the book, you know, the ending, which we'll get into later, but it's different in that, you know, after the final thing that happens at the end of the show, in the book, uh, her editor, she kind of, like, he kind of like takes her in. Good. And him and <laughs> yeah, him and his wife kind of like care for her and get her back on her feet after that happens. So I think that's important. And like despite like I I understand why the show ended where it did, but I I did think that there was like a slightly more uh it it ended less on like a shocker note and more on like a, you know, redemptive slash it had positive a, it had note. a denouement <laughs> what's that it didn't mean? just bloop <laughs> fancy words is, am i am i right is this the right word like denouement is like after the climax sort of like the wind down tying up all the loose ends in a story yeah i think that's right and mm-hmm. the hbo show just kind of ends on the climax and we get nothing yeah which like is fun and i understand why because it's like a fun little shocker moment but here's the thing you think it's the denouement until the climax happens right right hold on you guys did see the like post-credit 
scene, right? Yes. Yes. Which was... I did. I'm just... Emma killing everyone? Yeah, like, it was just... Wait, there's a post-credit? Yeah. So I didn't know that until, like, two weeks ago, or maybe even a week ago. And then I had to watch... I had to, like, go back and go to the middle of the credits and watch it, but... Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's really quick. Like, I had to watch it a couple of times. I think you can watch it on... Yeah, you can. Just, like, flashes of the murders? Yeah. I mean, and it's maybe ten seconds long, but it... Oh, yeah. You see... It's intense. You see Emma, like, wrenching a tooth out, or that's what it looks like is happening, and and you see that her two friends are with her, which is something that hasn't been made clear just by the end. It looks like Emma did it, but her friends were there also, and then you see... Um, a flash of her strangling the girl that was in the carriage house, Natalie. Um, you see the, you know, there's blood under the bed. You see, like, her down by the bed. And then you see the girl, the girl she was, became friends with at the end. Oh, yeah. So you don't sad. see, like, a, a death scene, really, but um, it's, like, implied, obviously, that that's what happens. And in the book, that's made very clear. Um, yeah, yeah, she yeah. dies. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, she killed the yeah. new friend. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I guess now that we're talking about the end, <laughs> let's just the end. No, no, kind of we were going to have to get to it up, somehow. But... Um, <laughs> but I guess we should talk about that re- the reveal though of how it's discovered that it's Emma. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because that is different in the show. Yeah. Than in the book. So. Who wants Emma. to take that on? <laughs> Emma. Mary's yes. going to do Emma it. goes to live with Camille after uh, Adora is arrested for basically the murder of Marion, right? Her Munchausen's by proxy. But she's also arrested for the murder of the girls. Because and she's they also, find yes, she's also yeah, arrested the for the murder of the girls. She's just arrested for a lot of Munchausen's shenanigans and murder. <laughs> and <laughs> That's um, the name of my band, Munchausen shenanigans. It's, it's really dramatic, too, because <laughs> basically Camille and Emma are on the brink of death, having been poisoned with Adora's medicine. And they're just sort of crawling around the house, and then she gets arrested because <laughs> the just editor I mean, yeah. uh, calls in she is, yeah. a report. You know. Anyway, Emma goes to live with Camille in the city after Adora is arrested, and we think, ah, uh, yes, Camille's going to take care of Emma, they're going to be a happy family, and everything is going to be... A-okay. Emma even makes a new friend, a little neighbor girl, and they go out and play together. And we get, like, a moment of weird tension when the neighbor and Emma uh, and Camille go have dinner with the editor and his wife. And uh, there's, like, this weird moment where uh, Emma's friend says she wants to be a reporter. And Emma gets Mm -hmm. jealous because everyone seems really approving mm-hmm. of her friend's answer and she wants the attention. And then we cut to the neighbor's mom who comes by and was like, where are the girls? I'm looking for my daughter. And Camille says, Oh, they went out to play or do something. And the mom says, well, you know, they had their first fight. You know how girls are. They probably were arguing about boys or something silly. 
And Camille's like, yeah, that's probably it. And she goes to clean up and she sees a Emma's dollhouse. And she's looking in Emma's dollhouse. She finds a sort of like a bedspread for the dollhouse that Emma's friend made. And Emma got pissed because everyone thought it was really cute. Like Camille praised it or something. And so Emma threw it away and Camille saved it from the trash. And she goes to put it back in the dollhouse and she notices one room. Remember, this is an exact replica of Adora's house. Um, she, uh, Camille notices that there is a room just like Adora's room in the house. Adora's room. With ivory tiles. That is covered in beautiful real ivory tiles and when she looks at Emma's replica Adora's room also has beautiful tiles made of teeth <laughs> don't tell mom and then Emma appears in the doorway sees Camille holding teeth and says don't tell mama and that's the end I knew it was her. I mean, like, honestly, like, a few episodes in, when Emma started acting weird and jealous, and I just, I was like, I think it's her. I also thought for yeah. a time it was the dad. The show makes it, makes him look suspicious. I think he's In a way that, like, oblivious. I never in the book thought anything of him, really. Yeah, he's not, he's just, like, weird in the book, yeah. but he's not, like... So, like he doesn't seem like a. He's like a set piece in the book. Person. He doesn't really yeah. do a whole lot. Yeah, um, he like eats like runny eggs and is just described really grossly. Yeah, yeah. But so I was when I watched this with um my boyfriend. Um, <laughs> please make that noise every time I say it. Um, so he had not read the book, but like. Up until right before we, you find out it's Emma, like he was like, "It's Alan, obviously." And then, and then he switched to it was the chief. But like the show does really focus on Alan in this way that makes him look like he's up to something when really he's yeah. actually just like the dumbest guy. He's <laughs> like, just chilling, he, listening yeah. to his French. He's music. so yeah. oblivious, like like being a perv. <laughs> Yeah, none of that happens in the book. Like, he's such a larger character, a creepy guy. And I was afraid, mm -hmm. since I'd read the book, that they were going to make him as part of the murders. I'm like, surely not. They can't change that. But yeah, the music, his relationship with Adora is is more brought out in the show than definitely. I mean, I was just a dumb dumb. Yeah. Also, I, I have so many questions about... The dad is his name Alan. 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 I have so many questions about Alan because yes. he is really oblivious, but he can't be that oblivious. I mean, there's like a scene in the show where he yells at Adora and says, "I lost her too." You know, like we mm -hmm. both lost a child, mm -hmm. and kind of has his moment to say something. Well, I I think he knows what Adora is doing because at one point doesn't he say to her like don't get yeah, carried so. away? Yeah, he does, yeah. and he also turns his music yep, up yep. at one point when the mm -hmm. girls are like particularly sick. And I mean, I'm almost led yeah. to believe he's turning his music up so he doesn't have to hear them like retching and moaning oh, upstairs. I just don't understand yeah. how you could do that, like how you could sit by and let your wife. 
She's scary. I think he's scary. in some kind of that's weird why. denial or something. Yeah. I think I think that's what it is that and I there is one thing in the book where it kind of like goes like he was kind of a sickly child. Uh. Like it briefly mentions that. So I think like there's sort of this implication that like like it's partly his genes that are like, you know, why that his, like his two daughters were sickly right. as children. Because Marion was also his. Um, Camille is the only one with yeah, a different Cam- dad. Camille is not. Right. And that's why she never right, loved yeah. Camille. <laughs> yeah. I, if we if she we loves could, so much. I know, so, right? Like, while, while we're talking about their sickness and, like, the Munchausens, what is Adora's concoction? Do they describe it in the book? Because in the show, it just shows her, like, crushing up some aspirin, putting it in a blue well, bottle, couple, and, like, mixing like, stuff. It's like she collected random medicines, but also she had rat poison yeah. in there. But also, like, cleaning fluid, right? <sighs> yeah, and straight up like rat bleach. poison, which is, like... Yeah, I think it was cleaning fluid. Damn, you're not even, like, masking that with some, like, just weird medicine cocktail. You yeah. just bought a thing that's straight poison. Straight up poison. <laughs> Yeah. But, and she's mixing a lot of things together as if she's like some kind of old timey pharmacist. I um, mean, the lesson is do not take medicine out of a random bottle. True. Exactly. If it doesn't have a What's label, interesting don't to take me, it. though, it is that like poison. <laughs> Emma at some point figured this out and yeah. still, like, she kind of uses it as a power play sometimes, too. Mm hmm. Which yes. is interesting to me, because obviously Marion did not know what was happening. Right. And... Yeah, she was too and young. Camille doesn't But know. she doesn't look that much younger than... Yeah. But I think she was supposed to be, like, eight or nine or something. Because Camille, I think, was 13 when, right. when Marion Well, died. so she's probably been doing this to Emma for... Oh, wow. Yeah, I think Emma just somehow, like... I think... I think, um... Adora realized, okay, I have to like not go so quite so hard <laughs> this time on my. I need a low dose of poison the this time. Poisoning, yeah. Just I need to you know tone it down a little. And then um, she's like, "Ooh, toner! I'll put some of that in there." <laughs> I do have a copy of the book in mm-hmm. front of me, like an ebook, and I just typed in the word medicine to see. Like it's only mentioned eight times, but it never it never really goes into what it's what it is like. Blue pill. Viagra. Um, yeah, it, it does it. It does it. Yeah. Viagra. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Viagra. Oh, Alan, watch it. She's giving him that. Yeah. But no, it doesn't. I don't think Alan needs it. I didn't remember if it said it in the book, but there <laughs> they do say something about rat poison in the show. It's it's just amazing to me how Emma is manipulating on like a similar le- level as Adora, and they're both just playing each other in this really intense way. Because there is, I mean, one of my favorite parts of the show, and by this part I was fully hooked in. Um, Camille and Emma are talking, and Emma is hungover from their wild party night where they did drugs, and. Uh, Odora sees it as Emma's sick and so starts trying to give her the medicine and Camille's like Emma you're just hungover come on you know this and she says this is my favorite part though this is my favorite part of drinking is that I'm hungover and she has to baby me she has Mm -hmm. to take care of me 
And so, yeah. I mean, like, in a weird, twisted way, Emma sees this poisoning, essentially, as her getting, you know, paid attention to and taken care of. She gets all the attention. Doted on, all the attentions on her, which makes sense with her murders, you know? Like, she gets mad when all the attention isn't on her and tries to find a way to put the attention on her again. Yeah, well, that's why, I mean, those two girls were her friends until Adora paid too much attention to them, basically. Also, if Adora didn't have Munchausen by proxy, Emma would totally just have regular old Munchausen syndrome on her own. But she doesn't even have to have it, because (laughs) they're just, like, double manipulating each other. Who knows what she would be like if she had a normal mom, you know? Yeah. Moms can fuck your Well, clearly. (laughs) Uh, Do you guys want to know what was found? Yes, please. Yes. So there is a page. So it says eight vials of anti-malaria pills with overseas labels, big blue tablets, tablets, sorry, that have been discontinued due to their tendency to induce fever and blurred vision. Um, 72 tablets of industrial grade laxative. Um, three dozen anti-seizure tablets. Uh, Three bottles of Ipecac syrup used to induce vomiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, 161 horse tranquilizers. Uh, Cute. Cute. A nurse's kit with lots of loose pills and vials. Um, so that's what they say. And of course, it also says it, what side effects each of these pills could cause. So, so it's like awful things. Awful things. <laughs> Assorted awful things. Yeah, and then some right. loose and then rat like, poison. Make you feel better, actually. Like, yeah. Jeez. I gotta say, I have a real issue with the phrase "industrial grade laxative." <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't ever want to know what an industrial grade <laughs> laxative would do to your system. Well, do you want to know the next line? It says. <laughs> Used primarily for loosening the bowels of farm animals. Oh, okay, no. there we go. Um, remember that she she is part of the whole. We haven't even talked about that. Uh, they own a a pig farm, oh, right? So I guess that yeah. that's what it's related to. So it would be yeah. no real problem for her to get this stuff. I hesitate exactly. to call that a farm. Yeah, that's really not the slaughterhouse kind of. Yeah, yeah, it's, and it seems like sad. not even a properly run slaughterhouse in. By any measure. And Emma, like, goes out there to play, which is... Yeah, so creepy. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that there's that whole scene in the book that people were freaked out about with Emma watching the suckling mama pig. Um, But that's not... I mean, that's kind of shown in the show, but not too much. But it is interesting that we get to see how she's, like, fascinated with... The pigs. Why were why were people freaked out about it? In the book, it's just really explicit. Um, I don't look. Baby pigs got to eat. Yeah, yeah, but it's like the pig is all like uh, plumped up with all of the like horrible uh, what like hormones that they put in pigs to make them fatter before slaughtering them, and then the baby pigs are like feeding off of this like oozing mother that is just like shot up with all these hormones and stuff and it's just when you say it like that yeah it's not idyllic (laughs) it's not like it's cute in a farm and baby pigs are eating it's like 
It's yeah, like one of those documentaries you watch, and then you're like, no, I'm a vegetarian now. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I yeah. am a vegetarian. Because <laughs> yeah. of people like that. Because um, meat is gross. It's not not gross. I also want to talk about the town, because there's a lot of focus on the small town dynamic of the place, and people treat Camille like she has... Like, she lives in Paris and is a model or something. Like, when she comes home, they're like, oh, big city girl. Yeah. And, it's like, mm-hmm. she lives in St. Louis, which is, like, not that far. In the book of Chicago, <laughs> Where they right? supposedly are. Yeah, in the yeah, book of Chicago, Chicago. Which is still... Chicago and St. Louis are, like, five hours from each other. So, right. it's still not, like... Susan, didn't you live in St. Louis for a while? Yeah, I did. It's big uh, city is girl it, is here, it the big everyone. city? Yeah, sorry guys, I'm a big Big city, city Susan. <laughs> yeah. Big city Susan. Right here I mean, don't let that intimidate you. I'm just like you us. guys, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I actually kind of like that they made her from St. Louis because that makes it even, first of all, it is smaller than Chicago. So it's even mm-hmm. less big city, which makes people saying that in Wingap make them all the more small towny. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in the same state, so it's it's really, like, not that far. <laughs> it's a lot closer, like, geographically, since Wind Gap it doesn't really exist, um, but it's supposed to be, all, be in the boot heel, mm-hmm. and, which is the little place between um, Arkansas and Tennessee, mm-hmm. like how it kind of goes down mm-hmm. there. Um, and the furthest distance, it's like 200 miles, so it's easy to drive. It's really close um, geographically to Wind Gap. Yeah, but... I really loved I, I, do you know where they shot this? Does anyone know? Uh in Georgia partially. Yeah, partially in Georgia. In Barnesville, right? Yep. I just really liked I thought like the visuals of the town and like the building of that environment was spot on. It's kind of funny because in Barnesville, I read an article about how they filmed it in Barnesville and they, all the residents were really excited because it brought attention to their small town. And, but they kept saying in this interview, they were like, but you know, we're not a bad town. <laughs> we're <laughs> not, not like Wingap, not here. really. We're just a cute little scenic town. <laughs> we typically don't kill people. Well, what did y'all think of Wingap? I don't know. I don't know anything about Missouri. I truly only know like Georgia small town dynamics, but I imagine it's kind of the same everywhere about how small towns get so embroiled in their own gossip. It just becomes insane. And I mean, you kind of see this in the, uh, what's the name of it? The big holiday they have. Calhoun. Oh my yes, god. Yes, Calhoun, Calhoun Day, Day when they have the Calhoun Day <laughs> festivities oh at Adora's god. house. Um you see all these women gossiping on the front porch about Adora and they're at her house mm-hmm. celebrating. And she walks by and they sort of stop. <laughs> and then she walks off and they start gossiping. It's just like I mean, it's so catty and two-faced and Also everyone is a secret alcoholic. Oh, yes. Yeah, they all count drinks. They like, drinks there's like racist. two people that are like out in the open alcoholics and one of them is Camille and she's just visiting. Everyone else is like just has a secret alcohol problem. Okay. What else are you going to do there, you know? 
there's Fair that, enough, right? but True. gossip and just drink. gossip and drink. That's all there is to do. <laughs> also, there's just like Confederate flags, like every couple. Well, of I mean, that's feet. enough to make me drink. Sure. Yeah, I'm gonna take a swig of this. I was just beer wondering, right like, there's like the <laughs> the one like black character who lives in Wind Gap, and I'm like, how? Like, do you go to Calhoun Day? Like, how do you do <laughs> that? I don't that? remember her like, being. Although she is, does she, I try to find out if she has a name or not. I don't want to call her just the maid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's interesting. <laughs> oh, I was talking about the fr- the her. See, friend. there are two oh. bla- two black people in Wind Gap. There's t- there are there's two. two yeah, black who seems to be the only like self aware one in that whole group? She mm-hmm. does, the, and I don't want to yeah. call her the maid again, but I couldn't find her name. But she has the most loving relationship with Camille. Like they hug yeah. each other, and they obviously yeah. love each other. Um, Look at each yeah. other sympathetically. Yeah. Yeah. Both being lorded over by right. Adora. Wow, Adora's crazy, huh? Yeah. So uh, Emily has said, and I've heard other people say that they like Sharp Objects as a mini series even more than mm-hmm. they enjoy the book. And why do we think this is? And Emily, you can just tell us why you. Oh, oh okay. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> thought. I mean, okay. So I read Gossip Girl. Gossip Girl. I read Gone Girl. XOXO. <laughs> I have read Gossip Girl also. Freudian <laughs> I have read Gossip Girl also, but I've read I read Gone Girl first. Um and I love Gone Girl and Mary and I did a little panel on Gone Girl actually. Mm-hmm. Um so I read this one next, I a, after a little break obviously, but compared to Gone Girl, I did not like this book as much. Um I I was kind of like after finishing this book, like I was like, "Oh yeah, I enjoyed it," but I was like kind of like meh about it when i saw the trailer this is her first novel right yeah when i saw the trailer for this show i was super pumped because i love how they were sort of taking this very gritty atmosphere of because the book is very to me dark and gritty um and i i love how they interpret that in the show i think Mm -hmm. i had like a minor like uh, brain explosion when I saw the rendering of the house in the show because it was just like that house was like it's beautiful beautiful I, it makes me like I said it was very triggering for me wallpaper wise because like I, it just like made me feel all the it, it made me feel all the emotions good and bad and I was just like I need wallpaper back in my life everywhere because like I am now like addicted to this wallpaper in the most unhealthy uh, way and um we had a whole convo about it like what what's wallpaper doing yeah where is wallpaper? wallpaper been why isn't it here so i'm all in on wallpaper actually so i guess my answer to why the show is better than the book is wallpaper <laughs> book, the book didn't have wallpaper in it i mean it did but not that i could see <laughs> yeah this i think the just like the visual yes. style of this show is really really the, the visuals the music the acting like everything just sort of like um elevated the, great, the material the to me and the way that the flashbacks are done on this show um is so unique i felt because like i'm we're used to seeing flashbacks we see them all the time as a device but um the flashbacks on this show were really cool because they sort of like bled in and out with yep. current time yep. And she'd, like, turn around and they'd be 
the the people from her past would be behind her or things would be happening in the same room. And it was like the way that flashbacks should be done where it's like I'm literally having a flashback right now because I'm in this room and I'm looking at this floor where this thing happened. Yeah. But it's not done in like a super obvious cheesy way the way flashbacks often are. So I was just like really impressed. Yeah. They get even more intertwined well. as it goes on too. Like when, when Camila's kind of on death's door than Marion is laying right beside yeah. her. Mm-hmm. There are lots of fun, creepy Marion shots, mm-hmm. too. Like, she'll be, like, in the mirror, behind, like, or, th- like, she's just, like, randomly in the back of scenes. Like, in the sometimes. periphery. And, like, warning yeah. her she's not safe there and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was yeah. really cool. Anyone else have any last thoughts? Um, I was just gonna say, as far as the, the book and the movie, real quick, um, I like them as companion pieces. I'm glad mm-hmm. that I read the book um, and finished it right before the show started. Um, I think it, it gave me that anticipation and it made me understand the flashbacks a lot better. Um, I think they go together. And a lot of, I know some people say one's better than the other. And that's cool. I understand that. But I think they go together well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I may have been confused if I hadn't read the book yet um, to the show. So, yeah. No. And then the wallpaper, like Emily said. I mean, yeah. So good. Good wallpaper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so good. So In good. conclusion, wallpaper. Wallpaper. Um, obviously we would love to hear what all of you think because we're not the only five opinions that matter. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, but yeah, so you should email us at the squad at com, and we will read and address your feedback and your comments on our next other episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We will. very special interview we have an interview i have an interview we all have it Um, but you did it we all have it but i'm the one doing it it's with author sam mags um who wrote the book girl squads published by our friends over at quirk books we have a couple of um different interviews coming up with them um mary's doing one also and we obviously already had grady hendrix Mm -hmm. But uh, They have a lot of yes. great stuff coming out right now. Yes, they do. They do. So this book is called Girl Squads, um, which is, like, perfect for our show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's by Sam Maggs. The book is illustrated by Jen Woodall with, like, the most gorgeous illustrations of all these awesome girl squads. And it's basically, like, a, a little mini history book about, um, like, women who have been in squads throughout history uh, doing things like science and art and warriors podcasts and, yeah. like athletes okay. and podcasts yeah we're the last one in the book. we're gonna be in the next edition we're not in the yeah. book um but yeah it's a uh, 20 female friendships that changed history and it is really really cool i highly recommend it i have learned so much from reading it like things and it's just like a constant like like reminder of how women have been written out of history Mm -hmm. and it is so important for us to read books like this and remember that these women exist and can i also just say that i've been creeping sand mags on her instagram and she seems real cool and i want to be her ah yeah so we have this interview with her and i really hope you enjoy it
this book that you have written is like totally perfect for like our listeners and oh great yeah um so I guess like what I wanted to the first thing I wanted to ask you is like how did you come to write this book like how did you get the idea for it well my last book Wonder Women focused on sort of women in the history of STEM and the sciences that we don't often hear about Right. In our history textbooks or in history classes. Um, but a lot, and a lot of those stories were really fascinating and awesome. But what I found when I was writing them is that they focused mostly on individual women and mm-hmm. their individual paths and stories. Um, but for me, the most interesting vignette, I suppose, in Wonder Woman was the story of Anandi Joshi, who was as India's first woman um, Western doctor. Right. And the only reason that she was able to get her degree in Western medicine was because she became pen pals with a young widow in New Jersey. And the two of them became best friends overseas. This was in um, the 1880s. Eventually, Anandi sailed overseas to live with this woman in New Jersey and got she helped get her into medical school in Philadelphia and I think the reason that I connected so strongly with that story is because it was a story of you know female friendship and of women supporting other women you know intersexually and across the world and um I was like I really want to tell more stories like that because I think as women we're really often socialized when we're growing up you know through no fault of our own right (laughs) patriarchal world that we live in unfortunately um compete with each other instead of cooperating with each other. We're often told that there's only room for one woman in a particular space, whether it be in a career or in, you know, friend circles or relationships or anything like that. Um, You know, there can only be one YouTuber who's a woman who talks about video games. Right, right. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, totally. Supreme Court justice is a woman's. So we don't need any more, right? Like, yeah, one is an as long as there's just one to represent all of women ever, it's fine. <laughs> I feel like we have to like compete with each other, but the reality is like we don't. We're stronger when we support each other. We're better when we cooperate than when we compete, right? You know, and so it was really fun and interesting for me to reach back through history and across the world to find the really cool stories of you know, women who have been teaming up forever to create change. Because I think often as women, you know, the, the only people who are really going to support us are each other. Oh, like totally. We, we have to be the ones to, to get together to make those big moves and big changes that we want to see in the world. So, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's awesome. And I like, I loved reading this book because, you know, I just like, like one thing that that came up over and over again while I was reading it was you keep mentioning just sort of like the erasure of women throughout history and the erasure of important women and women who made like contributions to things, yeah. um, you know, which is something that I never like growing up. I wish I had known like about that because, you know, we don't we learn about so few women in history class and then we're like, well, and then people say, well, you know if you look at how many famous inventors there were that were women and compared to men, there are more men, which means that men must be better. Right. And it's like, (laughs) that's not true. Yeah. Um, and I guess like, I wanted to ask you, um, like how, like, why does this happen? Like, why do women like get erased from history? 
There's a few reasons. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's a great question. There's, there's definitely, as, as with all historical questions, there is more than one correct answer. <laughs> of a course. combination of all of them are true. Um, sometimes in history, you, you know, the most obvious answer is that um, the people in power don't want to give up their power. The right. People in power, in this instance, typically being like straight white dudes. <laughs> That's history for you. Um, and so it benefits them to make sure that the stories of successful women aren't told. Right. Because they want to stay in their positions of power, you know, so it benefits them to say, um, Watson and Crick discovered the shape of DNA and leave Rosalind Franklin's story on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to not worry about that because, you know, it, it's easy for them to say, like, oh, what, they want to say white people have done everything because they want to keep white people in power. So right, right. That's what, that, those are the narratives they question. They're the people writing the textbooks. So they're the people in power. So they're the people who get to decide what goes in the textbooks and who writes the history and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, you see, that's probably the most obvious reason. But there are other more nuanced reasons, too. Like, oftentimes, um, women chose not to take the credit for their inventions. You find a lot of that, especially with, black women inventors mm-hmm. in the 19th century who are afraid that if people found out that what they had invented had been invented by a black woman, that no one would buy it. So they would intentionally leave their name off their patents or they would allow their patents to um, be under some white dude's name or something so that it would, so that what they made got used um, as opposed to right. you know, people kind of not wanting to look at it. I think sometimes too, it's um, it can be difficult to get this, um, the stories of women from across the world into the Western canon. And uh, the Western canon is what we tend to, in English-speaking countries, know the most about. Of course. So <laughs> a lot of what happened, you know, in the Dominican Republic is in history and with cool women in the history of the, the, the Dominican, sorry, um, is only written down in Spanish. Right. So if nobody's ever bothered to translate that to English or felt that that was necessary or who would be interested in it, then that's just a story that we'll never know. So there are a lot of different reasons that um, I think women and other marginalized people get kind of left on the cutting room floor of history. But that's also why I think it's our job now as responsible historians and writers (laughs) to find those stories, you know, and to shine a light on them Um, because we have to repair that damage, I think. Because to your point, how great would it have been growing up knowing that there were more women in science history than just like Marie Curie and maybe Ada Lovelace, if you were yeah, lucky. Yeah. The only two people we ever hear about. And there were way more than that. It's just, you know, again, the people who write the textbooks, they don't, you know, bother to to put that in there. Yeah. And that super blows. <laughs> it really does. It really does. Yeah. And that, you know, cause like for such a long time, I just assumed that like, for like for some reason we're just like less than you know and well it's such a self-fulfilling prophecy too like i hate i hate that because people are always like that's the worst one you see this all the time like well if women were so smart why didn't they invent anything (laughs) it's like well they weren't allowed to go to school like you you weren't allowed to go to university right so like how were they gonna go to a lab and science like they couldn't <laughs> right because you you didn't let them so that's like you it's your fault like yeah <laughs> it's just such a like obvious answer to me yeah definitely like, yeah so i don't know it kind of drives me up the wall <laughs> it's very it's super frust- it's a super frustrating argument when you hear it as like like a grown-up and you're like well I, you know it's pretty like 
you can figure that out. But yeah, but it like sucks when you're when you're a kid and you're learning. And I just feel I feel like history in general is like the the way that we teach history, especially like in this country, is so problematic because we focus so much on just like America and not even just just like the United States, not even like all of America. So it's like, you know, I I just wish that there was I wish there was some way for for history to be taught better here. And I think you're right that, like, we we need to take responsibility. And, you know, people need to read books like yours um, and share them in classrooms. Like, I think this book is also great because it's – it's like a history book in a way, but um, it's also not dry the way that history books oh. can sometimes be. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you, like, how did you develop this, like, voice for your nonfiction work that is, like, you know, not quite uh, – it's, like, educational but not, like, boring. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for saying that. That's, like, a big goal. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm a pretty irreverent writer anyways. Like, I like dry wit and sarcasm. Yes. I, I, I like, really connect to that. Um, But when I started writing about history books, something that – so I did my master's degree in Victorian literature, and it took me a really long time to understand, I think, because of the way that things were written in books, that, like, people were, like, us. Mm-hmm. Like some of the girls who are doing this stuff in like the French Revolution or whatever, they're like 22. Yeah. Like you don't really think about like anyone in history as like a dumb 17 year old. Right. You, know what I mean? <laughs> like, you just kind of don't like you don't picture that. But often that's the case. Like tons of the women in girl squads are like, you know, just normal gals. Yeah, totally. Uh, who are our age or, you know, in their 50s or whatever. But like they're right. just like normal women like you and me but when we look at it through this lens of history we tend to think about them through this like oh they must have been like you know right <laughs> like you know what I mean? right <laughs> so for me when I was writing both Wonder Woman and Girl Squads it was really important that I got the kind of point across that these were just like normal people just like you and me who were going through this that they were just like normal gals normal women right um doing extraordinary things and I wanted people reading about them to be able to connect with these women and their stories on a really personal level. And it's hard to do that if you're reading like a dusty <laughs> yeah. um, science film. And also like, I just don't find that interesting to read. Like I want nonfiction that kind of reads like a, a good, like a novel fiction story. <laughs> yeah. You know, and these stories are so interesting and great that I don't want to do them a disservice by being like boring. You know, on the other hand, I think that the voice is a very, it has, it's like, you know, if you like jokes, then you might <laughs> yes. like it. But, you know, I think it's good that people know going into picking up Girl Squads that it's not going to be, like, super... Like, all the re- the research that I've done is, like, extremely... I'm, like, a super intense researcher. And right. it's all, like, extremely, um, you know, thorough. But right. The way that I present it is in a, a way that's, like, easily digestible and tries to be fun and humorous and, you know... A lot of the time, I think with some of this stuff, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. So yeah, oh, definitely. You have to like approach it that way. Yeah. Um, if you had to pick like a favorite like girl squad from the book, which one would it be? And can you kind of like talk a little bit about it? Oh yeah. So for me, it's actually the very last. Oh, it's, it's a tough call between the very first and the very last one. Yes, in the book, but I think it has to be the very last one. It's um, Zora, which is Afghanistan's 
first all-female orchestra, and it's actually happening right now. And I think that's what connects me to that story so much is that it is the one sort of like super recent story in the right, book. And right. The first time I learned about them, I read their story online, and I just like cried. Yeah, on my computer because it's so moving. Um, because not only does Afghanistan, obviously, with the Taliban, have um our pretty rough history with women's rights, but um the Taliban also banned music um because it was seen as disrespectful to the sort of like you know funerary atmosphere that was going on and the many wars right. that they had for a variety of different reasons. Um. So for women now to be playing music in public is like this trifecta of um, extremely difficult thing there. Right. Like they're just so successful and strong and they're all like 12, which is bananas (laughs) to think about and, um, you know, battling through the the hardships that they, they deal with to do the thing that they love is like. Yeah. Oh my God. It's amazing. They're so inspiring and great. I think they have to be my favorites, but it's so hard to choose. They're all so good. Yeah. And like, how did you, na- I'm I'm sure you must have had like a, an even longer list that you narrowed down. And like, how did you go about making those like decisions? It's super hard. Um, Cause there are so many awesome stories once you go out there and start looking for them. Um, for me, when I was writing Wonder Women, I found that um, the most, interesting stories were the ones that weren't about Western women. Because right. when you really, when you first start digging and you first start looking, I mean, obviously the first stories you find are all dudes. And then the <laughs> yeah. second stories you all, you find are all like, you know, straight white Western women. And there are still a lot of those in girl squads too. And they're really interesting and inspiring and cool. But uh, for me, I really love diving into and investigating the stories of different cultures at different time periods. Like I didn't know anything about Finland at the turn of the 19th century. Now I know like everything about it. Oh yeah. That was super fascinating. Cause I think, did you say that they're the first country in the world that gave women the right to vote? They are. Which that's like, hard. I had no idea. And I read that fact that. and I was like, Oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> Cause your point in the States, I'm Canadian, and in Canada also, to a large extent, we really only learn about American and North American history, like right. you said. So then it's like, you know, what was Vietnam like in the year 1000? Oh, well, yeah. Now I know that, you know? So those are the kinds of things that are that I really enjoy, and I enjoy situating these women's stories in, like, the cultural context in which they would have taken place. So, like, why is it impressive that women in 19th century Finland, like, decided to take up arms and fight back against their oppressors. Like, well, here are all the reasons. Right. This is what was going on in Finland at the time. This stuff was Russia. And there's the Germans. And, like, yeah. here's what the food situation was like. <laughs> yeah, like, totally. I'm, I'm, like, a big history nerd. So I think that stuff is, like, it is as cool as, like, the actual stories of the women, you know? Yeah, it is. And I, I appreciated that, too, that, like, at the beginning of every sort of, like, girls' squad section, you have, like, a little background about what's going on in the country at that time because it does oh, really help right. to inform about – because, yeah, like, I don't know shit about history. No. <laughs> like, yeah, for real. Like, as, as like, your average so reader, you know, you just, like – we don't learn that and we should, but we don't. And so it's really yeah. helpful to have that background. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. It was like a lot of work, but it was really fun. 
to learn about. I like even as I was writing it, I was like, "This is so interesting." <laughs> yeah, so I hope it comes through. Yeah, totally. Um, so like, what kind of resources did you use, or do you use when you're researching things like this? Um, a lot of primary sources. So I use a lot of university libraries and catalogs. Okay. Um, I use the catalogs of a lot of Canadian libraries because that's what I was living in Canada. I had immediate access to, but then also reaching out to libraries across the world that have content that I might not be able to get access to online um, or through digital collections. So right. just reaching out directly to librarians and asking them to like scan articles or newspapers or content or like pieces for me that you know, that I need. Right. I had to travel a few different places to get to libraries that had specific items that weren't available in digital collections, like books and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I rely really heavily on libraries and librarians. These books would definitely not exist without them, <laughs> but I like can't encourage people enough. Um, it's all about primary sources. It's all yeah. about going back and like reading the original newspapers um, from 200 years ago, which a ton of, especially in the States, are all available digitized online now through a website called Chronicling America. Ooh. If you ever want to go and like find out what was happening on your birthday 200 years ago, like in Oregon or whatever, oh my God. you can totally go do that. You can go read the newspaper from that day. And it's, I think it's super fascinating, especially like the advertisements are hilarious because they're all like, is your baby crying? Cry cocaine or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I am uh, like so, immediately like, going to go and look that up after this. Do it. It's so, like, they're so cool. Um, and there's so many of them. Um, but yeah, the, I feel like there are a lot of instances where, um, people will take a fact that they read online on Wikipedia or like in another book at face value without running down where that quote unquote fact right. came from. Totally. And that's a big problem. The story I always tell, this is, uh, this goes back to Wonder Women, but the story I always tell is the one about Mary Bowser, who during the American Civil War was a black woman. She, um, was raised in a white Virginia household. Um, and the family that raised her happened to be like the head of the spy ring for the Union Army. So even though black people in Virginia at that time were not allowed to be literate, let alone educated, they educated her, they taught her to read, they sent her away to school, she came back, and they installed her in the Confederate White House. Oh my god, that is so awesome. The, like, Confederate president, Jefferson Davis, would just, like, leave the room because black people can't read, so whatever, and then she would just, like, read all the documents and then report back on them oh my the god so she was super useful but then at almost every other book on her especially like modern books now when you see like oh cool like women in history or whatever like mm-hmm. they always say that she also like had an eidetic memory like they say that she had a photographic memory and they mm-hmm. say that she burned down the confederate white house and like walked away <laughs> make up all this stuff or whatever right all this stuff and i was like wow like that wow i thought she was awesome before but like this stuff yeah. Holy cow. But the lesson is, if something sounds like way too cool to be true, it probably is. Yeah. Because it turns out when I ran down where those particular, you know, factoids came from, mm-hmm. it was from an oral interview that had taken place in the 1970s with a guy who was like, oh, my great grandfather's like great great aunt's sister, like totally in her. <laughs> And like, oh my god! All these books have like public because I hear that and I'm like, right. that sounds fucking fake. Like that's right. fake. You know what I mean? Like, 
but it's like family like, mythology. People have been like, yeah, well, that's great. I'll just publish that because some other book published it, so it must be real. So it's like I'm like such a stickler for um, whenever possible. Um, of course, it is more difficult in different languages. I had to employ several different interpreters because I don't know if you've ever seen Finnish, but it's a ridiculous <laughs> fake language made up by fake people. Um, to torture me. No, it's amazing. It's beautiful, and I wish that I spoke it or understood it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had to. I had to like hire on several like interpreters to help me with this one. Translators to help me with girls' clubs. Wow. Just like. It's tricky, you know, but, you know, I tried my best and I think, uh, yeah, if you are looking into historical facts, you got to dig pretty, you got to dig deeper than surface level to find. I don't want to say the truth because there is, you know, no, no real truth. truth. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's like an old biography, you always have to ask yourself like, oh, from what opinion is the biographer writing and all of that stuff. So, oh, yeah. Know, there is always like a slant to it, but, um, you know, as close as you possibly can. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so back on the subject of girl squads, I wanted to ask you, You, I know you do a lot of pop culture writing as well as yeah. uh, history writing. So, like, who are some of your favorite um, pop culture girl squads? Ooh, um, I have to say A-Force from Marvel, which is like the all-female superhero team-up squad. Um, they're awesome and super badass and are made up of some of my all-time favorite Marvel ladies. Um, the Josie and the Pussycats film is probably my favorite oh, comic book my movie God. ever made. <laughs> I love, you have no idea. I am obsessed with that movie. My, oh my, my roommate and I, when we were, we've known each other since we were little kids and we used to like watch that movie and then we would like get in our Josie and the Pussycats outfits and like, yes. like play fake music. <laughs> I'm so into that. That movie is the so best. Um, yeah, I have, like, the soundtrack on vinyl and everything. Like, I'm so obsessed. It's so good. And you know what? People don't give that movie enough credit for being, like, actually a really great – Yeah, it's, like, a really great satire of advertising and, totally like, product placement. And people don't even realize it. That it's movie is amazing. so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so definitely that one. Um, I also – oh, my God. They're so – Many, I mean, Sailor Moon was like super oh, formative yeah. for me growing up. So that whole, that whole squad is like definitely so important. I think um, those are probably my top faves. Those are excellent choices. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, my last question. Well, I guess this is kind of a two-part question. So do you have any other book recommendations um, that are, like, for more, like, badass ladies throughout history, other than Wonder Woman, of course, which I am definitely going to pick up and read myself? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, Women in Science by Rachel – oh, I'm going to pronounce her last name wrong, and I'm going to look it up to try to make sure that I don't butcher it. No worries. Um, Rachel Ignatovsky. Um, wrote a book called Women in Science, and it's more of like a picture book, kind of like for for very young kids. Oh, I think um, I've seen that art in it as well, and it's really cool. Awesome! I'm like a big fan of that, and she just did Women in Sports as well, and another really cool um Women in Sports um and Sports History book is called Game Changers. Okay, Game Changers. Um, it's like a big hardback. Um, beautiful and um, full photograph 
book, and it's by, I'm sorry, I'm going to look this up as well. <laughs> Go for um, it. Molly Shiot, S-C-H-I-O-T. Um, yeah, she wrote this book called Game Changers, and that's actually the book in which I found um, that one of the squads that ended up in girl squads for the first time, the um, Japanese women's Olympic volleyball team. Oh my God, that was so cool. That was so good, right? Like, yeah. that's another one where it was so interesting to see how, like, because, like, what difference does it make some volleyball team wins, like, a gold medal? But when you take into consideration, like, what Japan was going through at that time in the 60s, like, culturally and after World War II and how they were trying to find the cultural identity without, you know, war and all that stuff, like, yeah. and their relationship with the Soviets and how they ended up playing the Soviets and all that stuff, it was, like, yeah, so, such a fascinating, like, confluence of things that ended up revolving around these, like, amazing female athletes. Totally. Um, yeah, so I, I love those two women in history books. They're so good. Awesome. And I'm, like, not really a sports person. Like, whatever. I'm into, like, nerd culture. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know really anything about sports. So, But reading that book was so cool because it's, like, I, I do love history. So it was just another interesting angle. And that's why I really wanted to include athletes and girl squads because it was, like, oh, there are really interesting angles to this that um, – just because maybe I'm not necessarily, like, a sports person otherwise. Like, yeah. there's still really interesting stuff to be found there. Oh, totally. And, like, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. Like, I, I'm not a sports person. But I was, like, surprised by how uh, much I enjoyed the entire, like, athlete section of the book. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear that because I wasn't – especially coming from, like, a science book and a nerd culture book. And then right. sports and this <laughs> one, and I was like, I don't know. It feels pretty off-brand. But, like – it also gave me the opportunity to include another one of my favorites in the book, which were Sharon and Shirley Firth, the oh, yeah. indigenous Canadian like cross-country skiers. And that was a really cool story because to your point about like Americans being really bad at teaching history, like, right. like we never really learn a lot about indigenous or first nations history as well. Right. Um, and so I was happy to be able to get to share that story. Yeah, that was really fascinating and something that I really had no idea about. So um, yeah, I feel like I learned not just about, like, cool women, but I learned a lot about, like, just regular history reading this. Oh, so. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. That, yeah. like, makes my day. So thank you. <laughs> no, no problem at all. Um, and I, like, I appreciated so much that you are talking to me and that you've given such thoughtful, amazing answers. And I'm going to oh go God, read all of your books. Um my one last second part to the question I just yeah. asked is, <laughs> um, what are you reading right now? Oh, I'm reading. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I, I'm reading, I'm reading like three different things right now. And Tell I'm me all of them. I'm excited about all of them. And I'm like, <laughs> trying to figure out what, which one I want to talk about. Oh my God. You can tell, seriously tell me about all of them. <laughs> um, so I'm reading Becky Chambers' newest book. Okay. Her first book was called The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. And it's one of my favorite science fiction books of all time. It's basically like a cross between Mass Effect and Firefly. Ooh. Which is like my perfect book. <laughs> yes. Um, and the third book in that trilogy just came out. It's called Record of a Spaceborn Few. And it's so great. It has such amazing um fascinating interesting like alien species and cool characters with you know great relationships um, i'm all about like characters and character development so oh totally um love that i'm also reading a book by ryan north 
He's actually the guy who writes Squirrel Girl for Marbles. Oh, cool. Um, But he has a new book that's coming out soon called How to Invent Everything. And it's also a nonfiction book. And it's basically like it's a handbook for what happens if you got in a time machine and got stuck back in time and you had to like invent everything. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. So like how do you invent like just like how do you invent like purified water? Right. How do you invent like democracy? Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> such an interesting concept. It's and he's super funny so if you're into that like nonfiction that is not dry right he's like the absolute um absolute master of that so those are the two books i have on the go currently awesome thank you so much this has been so great and i can't i mean i've i like can't say thank you enough so (laughs) great to talk to you i'll talk to you soon yes talk to you soon (laughs) Bye. bye my gosh that interview was so good (laughs) wow thank you so much good job kelly i loved it i loved every minute of it i feel like someone else should read this listener feedback because it's mostly just praising me and how awesome i am i was about to read it it. okay so speaking of awesome interviews (laughs) and nailing it uh, we got some listener feedback on emily's grady hendrix interview that Mary's going to read. Speaking of nailing which if, it. If you haven't listened to that, you should listen to it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Ellis from Portland, Oregon says, Hey, I finally listened to your Grady Hendrix Thanks, interview. Ellis. It was so fun to listen to, and I now want to read that Van Halen book and his favorite Stephen King books. I added them to my goods re- Goodreads list. Ha ha. <laughs> you did an excellent <laughs> job of listening and responding my number one interview pet peeve is when the interviewer clearly has a prepared list of questions and doesn't even listen to the interviewee's response. It happens a lot, even on podcasts I love. I could tell you had a pre- you had prepared questions, but you took the time to listen to him and respond, which made it feel more like a conversation between friends and even led to new topics like his upcoming vampire book. I also didn't expect him to be so high energy and love that he had a lot of vocal fry. He said like a lot, but it was really endearing. <laughs> anyway, that's my official critique. A plus plus interview. You are killing it. You know what? I didn't even notice the vocal fry probably because I also do vocal fry every now and then. So now I'm going to have to go back and listen to it. I don't yeah. even notice it anymore. Well, I think this is the thing is like vocal fry is something a lot of people do but it's something that people have so gendered in the media that it's like refreshing to remember this is something a lot of people do now <laughs> like it's just a way speech has evolved and that's okay yeah there's a really great episode or segment of a this american life episode yes. um all about the vocal fry and the letters that they get complaining about all of their female reporters on the show and how they have vocal fry and how they're terrible and then ira glass is like i have really bad vocal fry i have really bad vocal fry and no one has ever complained about it to me i totally agree with ellis i think i really and you know i didn't get to hear the interview before the episode was published like a plebe and (laughs) <laughs> I think that you did a really good job in only listening. I also still maintain that Grady Hendrix sounds delightful and I would like to be his friend because 
he is both like simultaneously very witty and fun and also super knowledgeable and said a lot of profound stuff. So I really enjoyed hearing that interview. Yeah. As well. As and Ellis. that wasn't I don't wanna, even like, overshadow Ellis's good feed. That wasn't even but. the full interview, so stay tuned because I'm gonna try to uh publish the rest of the interview in mm. uh, in a typey typey up type way on um Book Riot. So yeah. Nice. Typey typey, typey, typey up, up type way. <laughs> That's, That's the professional yeah. term. <laughs> I'm gonna transcribe yes. it. That's what the word I was looking for. <laughs> typey typey. Up. All right. Speaking of typed things, what's on our oh, blog? Yeah. Uh, I wow, you're doing oh so well. With I, I really am. I really got to hand it to I you. Have I'm the segue published queen. a blog post reviewing and talking about Jason Fisher's new comic book called Swimming with Jayfish. It is a collection of autobiographical comic strips about Jason and his wife, Robin, and their lives. But the twist, if we want to call it a twist, is that uh, all the characters in it, who are real people, are portrayed as anthropomorphic animals. And it's really cute, and it's really touching, and I enjoyed it so much, so I have written about cool. it. Cool. Awesome. Um, we have a guest post uh, from Grace. Uh, she has written a wonderful post about mm. Hannibal. Yes, I love Hannibal um, so much. Yes, so check that out, Grace, of howtolearnyour20s.com, which is an excellent blog it teaching is. the many life skills that one needs. What a sweet baby. To be in your 20s, which I am and greatly appreciate all of her help and guidance. You're the only one here that's in your 20s, Kelly. Oh, man. <laughs> well, guess what? This blog is for me, bitch. I still subscribe to it. Is that allowed? <laughs> well, you just that's turned allowed. 30 like two days ago, so yeah. I know. <laughs> happy birthday, Mary. Oh, yeah. Happy, happy birthday, birthday, Mary. Mary. Oh, also happy birthday, Kelly. Am I bitter that I didn't get a birthday shout out on our last episode? Not what did at I all. just say? You don't get until you turn 30. Oh. Sorry, sweet one. Um, also, it was also Kelly's fine. birthday. Two Virgos. Also, yeah. Are You the One recaps are still happening. That show is still bananas. I'm still here. I feel like you're at the point that we were with Riverdale where we're like, yeah, it's still going on. <laughs> it's crazy. That's what? It's coming back. That happens with any soon. show you recap, yeah. I think. You're just like, oh, yes. why do they keep making episodes? I'm so tired. Even America's Next Top Model started to get to me. Like, if this season of Riverdale is as long as the last one, I don't know. We're going to have to discuss the future of Riverdale recap. <laughs> we are. <laughs> I have something on the blog, too, I would like to talk about. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> if that's okay. Um... <laughs> Edit that out so I don't sound like an asshole. We're all we're all waiting to hear <laughs> no. Susan. Okay, so since I pretty much only blog about podcasts, I decided to just make it a thing. And yes. I started Susan's Pod Squad <laughs> where I talk about You're podcasts. For the title. And yeah. I had to ask them to help me with that title. And that's what we got. <laughs> So, yeah, which you know is I like it because not my my best work. It's but like a it's, spinoff you know. squad from the book squad, the pod mm-hmm. squad. So anyway, um, the it first one I squad. covered as an official part of the pod squad is called Habitat, 
Uh, it's a Gimlet podcast about this NASA experiment where six people who are not actual astronauts go live on a fake planet Mars for a year. Um, and as you can imagine, some drama happens there. So check it out. Up next on the podcast, our next book episode uh, is going to be about Fledgling by Octavia Butler. Yay! If you haven't read I'm any so Octavia excited. Butler before, I strongly encourage you to read along with us. She is one of the best, I would argue, science fiction writers of our time. Ever. Of ever. I have um, been wanting to read something by her. Really she is, she is wonderful. I haven't this. read Fledgling. I'm reading it for the podcast, so it'll be new to me. But I have read Blood Childs and other stories, and it's just, like, it's fantastic. And I think this is the perfect follow-up to Yas. <laughs> because Octavia Butler is often the example that people pull out when, you know, whenever someone says, oh, but there's not that many women who write sci-fi. Okay, but not like good sci-fi. Because Octavia Butler is a master of science fiction and will write around a lot of these dudes all day long. And she's great. So I'm really excited to read Fledgling. It's one of her most famous works. Yay! So it'll be good! Yeah! It will be good. So please read along with yeah, us. Yeah, it's also a book for um, young people, so. I'll read it. I'll read it, a too. A book for young people. Yeah, yeah read it, it. I'll read it. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, please uh, read along with us. Please follow us on social media. We are at Book Squad Goals on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, you can email us any comments or questions you have about this or any other episodes at thesquad at booksquadgoals.com. Please Please write us feedback because we haven't had that much feedback lately. Where are what's you? What's going guys? on? Where are you guys? Where'd you go? Where are you? They're in the Hell. wallpaper. Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Janet, where can people find you? What do you do? Oh, great question. What do I do? <laughs> well, you can find me on social media too. I'm the sister Janet um, mm-hmm. on Instagram mm-hmm. and of course on the Twitter. Um, the tweets. You can you can find me around the tweets. You can find me on the tweets. You can find me on the book. Um, Thank you for being awesome. here. Thank you so yeah, much. thanks for Thank having so me, y'all. I appreciate it. It's been fun hanging with the squad. Yay! This was awesome. <laughs> and one last note. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Yeah. Five stars. Or Kelly will literally I'm be kill nice you. about it this time. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what just, actually Mary and Kelly asked for for their birthday was it is. you to rate yeah. and review. I told everyone, don't even get me a present. I asked for just, reviews, and Kelly asked for more feedback. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, don't disappoint them. It's Virgo's, Virgo's season. season. I'm 27. Baby. It's Virgo season. You're a baby. This is the year that lots of famous people died. (laughs) It's true. Look it up. 27 Club. Good luck. Okay. Well, uh, don't tell mama. Don't tell mama. Don't tell mama. Don't tell mama. Janet, you want to say don't tell mama to finish us off? Don't tell mama. Yeah. Thank you.
for being here, Janet. We love you. Thank you. We love you. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.